Save that podcast for your big questions, get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host in the city of Chicago. Joining me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the president of Mission USA. Real answers. Okay. Also joining us, Jed Brewer, the director of Mission USA Productions. Big questions? <laughs> this is... I don't I don't know what we're You know, doing. Glenn, you're allowed to just say hi. Oh, okay. So joining us all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee, making his triumphal return to the Save That Podcast, one of the pre- pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. You guys took all the elements of the motto, so I don't have anything to say from that. Well, you have the words, wear your, and the word get. That's true. Yeah. That's something, Lee. Despise not small beginnings. I just bibled you, son. I just bibled you. (laughs) You bibled him right in the face. (laughs) It's it's pretty rare that someone gets bibled before we even actually get going. More Bible. Not well, only have we been Bibled this week already, yes, yes, we've been scienced. Oh my goodness! On which basis I declare a super baby emergency. Ooh. Super baby emergency. We've listened to the last few episodes, and Lee may not be entirely cut up on the uh, the super baby developments. Obviously, a few episodes ago, Glenn decided that if you mixed all four of our DNA in some kind of laboratory environment, uh-huh. it would. Uh, produce a person not only of superior wisdom right but in glenn's mind of quadruple the size of a normal person that's right he thought this baby very big i've pretty staunchly now i haven't actually taken a bio class since i was a freshman in college which is a while ago but i'm pretty sure that's not how dna works because i think by that logic human beings would double in size every generation yeah well that's because what you have is uh, two halves that make one DNA to make one person. Mm. I'm talking about four DNAs. Yeah. Okay. So that's, you got four times. Your DNA is the standard unit of measure. Yeah. yeah you there got, are four of them. <laughs> when you got four DNAs, DNAs worth of uh, stuff that's making baby. Yeah. <laughs> That baby's going to be four times the size. That's just basic math, okay? You, you know that Bam just feels a disturbance in the force whenever yeah. we have yeah, these conversations. I have true. a friend who is a great friend of our ministry, a member of the church that Lee goes to. Caleb listens to the podcast. I know. Hi, Caleb. Greetings, Caleb. I always think hey, it's creepy. I always assume it's really creepy when we mention people by name. When hey, listening. hello. Um, but uh, <laughs> our friend Bam uh, is a, a biologist of some repute, and that she worked on something you may have heard called the Human Genome Project. Yeah. Huh. And I have a feeling if she ever heard this, she would be more ashamed to associate with us than she normally is, <laughs> which is already quite an understandably high That's amount, I assume. Let me tell you what I heard out of what you just said. We've already got the pieces in place to make this super baby project happen. Yeah, I like your style. I like Somehow, with that. you know what I mean? Yeah. Glenn on this show is going to lead to a federal investigation of the Air Force National end. Laboratory facilities. Here's what I want to know. When this inevitably goes south, there right. always has to be that moment goes? where, well, there always has to be that moment where one of the people screams, we thought we were gods. Right. Right. right, right. Can I be that guy when that time comes? Yeah. I mean, yeah, you, yeah, you do you, that pretty regularly anyway. Yeah, it's but, like calling <laughs> shotgun, you know? <laughs> Hold on. Yeah. It, my thing, though, is if you're going to call shotgun on that, you need to go ahead and work out, like, what's your what's your delivery going to be like 
Well, I could I could do a dry run now if that would help. Yeah, we need to hear we need to hear some possibilities. Yeah, give us an audition here. Yeah. Well, like you, so the the guy's putting you in cuffs and carrying you away. Well, you could do like the slow burn kind of underplay. We thought we were gods. I mean, you could do that, <laughs> sure. and that that would be unconventional. That's the camera pushes in right as it goes to black. Exactly right. You could do that, but I I think nothing really competes with the seventies exploitation movie. Just the full on. We thought we were gods. <laughs> I think right. that's the good right. stuff. I think sure. that's what everybody right. really, really wants deep down. Yeah. yeah. Maybe both, though. Well, you know, I think in the moment, you have to just feel it. Just whatever yeah. feels true in that moment. Yeah. you got to go yeah, with yeah, it, yeah. man. Yeah. Because or you can go with the Lord of the Rings where you just kind of, you repeat it. You know, like you say it, and then you say it again like a little bit softer. Kind of the inverse with, Chris Rock. Sure. We For thought we were gods, hours. Jed. We thought we were gods. That's good. That's yeah. good delivery yeah. right now, there. Two hours of landscapes. <laughs> uh, and, and this is what I'm talking about. This super baby. This can't be what you're talking about because none of us are talking about anything. Four times the size of a normal baby. Right. And here's the best part. Fully grown beard. Wow. <laughs> you're talking about a birth beard. I don't know if that is genetic. <laughs> Definitely a birth beard. Okay. He's got Matt's DNA. I feel like we're getting dangerously close to making fun of a physical malady here. (laughs) I've not done the gestational beard. No, whether or not birth beard is a thing. Let me tell you what: if you have a beard, baby, you be proud of that beard, baby. And you pass him around all over town and show everybody. That's a big deal. Ancient mythology, like he would automatically be declared king. He shall lead us all. How how many college bands are considering the phrase "birth beard" as the name for their band right now? As we have this discussion, all of them should be absolutely. Well, I I want to uh, mock Glenn's um, assumptions about the super baby here, but we have a message in the say that inbox from friend of the show. An actual friend of mine and Lee's, brother Austin Witt. Yay! Austin is a graduate student in medicine. You may have heard of it. Mm. Biochemistry. The guy thinks he's better than me because mm. he, he is better he, than He you. is in really demonstrable, measurable ways. <laughs> I got a C minus <laughs> in Bio 101 that I worked my rear end off for. Anybody who passed organic chemistry is notably better than me. Let <laughs> me tell you this, mitochondria. That's a word I've heard of. It's the powerhouse of the cell. <laughs> there you go. Your people are getting a lot of science on this so podcast. We get a little, speaking of science, we get some expert testimony here. Austin writes, Matt, I appreciate your realist perspective on Glenn's fantastical hypothesis for a modern feat of genetic engineering in the super baby. So and you're I saying like, it's fi- fantastic, which yes. is great. I like how many incredibly smart words that had to end in the dumbest phrase of in the super baby. (laughs) Okay. You are slightly erroneous. He's talking to me and your assertion that DNA does not work the way Glenn insists. IE quote four times the DNA would thus equal four times the size unquote. That's a misquotation. That's a misquotation. Glenn has never said thus. Okay. As exhibit a, I present the genetic principle of copy number variation, and then there's a Wikipedia link that I did not click on. Yeah. <laughs> because I would not have understood any of those words. It's a bit much. I'm taking your word for it, Awit. While infinitely more complex than that, also reasons I didn't click on it, there is somewhat in stars of a biological foundation for the approach Glenn suggests. 
Nice. Whoa. If analogous genes from each of you four were copied into the same place in the genome of the super baby, it could have an additive effect on the physical trait manifest from the gene itself. Thank you. It would also probably cause cancer or any number of other maladies, but yeah. the point remains, DNA does in fact work like that. <laughs> Thank you. So, <laughs> Thank you, universe, for, for shouting back to me how right I am and my genius idea of having a super baby. Because here's the thing, is the super baby riddled with tumors and crashing into things because he's huge and is enraged? Yes. <laughs> yes, he, he is all of those things. But he also has four times the wisdom so he can figure out how to fix it. There you go. Like with gamma rays and such. <laughs> totally with gamma rays. So uh, I think uh, I think this is a, a go idea. Here. Well, I'm going to take us out here because as I, I often do, I did not read all the way to the end of this missive. Okay. And uh, that's going to come back to bite me. But we do always read best we can. We read everything you send in. We don't, we don't uh, take snippets. We do our best to quote people. So Brother Austin signs off. So to Glenn, I say... Carry the torch of the super baby, mm. and don't let selfish people, like Matt... That's right. ...who are always withholding things from people... Well... This is Austin's <laughs> parenthetical. His love from a beautiful young sister in Christ... Mm-hmm. ...withhold hope from you <laughs> for the super baby. That's right. Amen, You know, brother. I can't tell you how happy it makes me. We got a combo meal here of both spurring on the super baby... Yes. baby yeah. And dinging Matt for being single. That's well, you know. Can what I ask that question? I, I had honestly forgotten that part was in there when I started the, reading uh, it. I'm, I'm just sure. going to say that may be our best email yet. Go, go ahead, Lee. Well, my question is if if we can somehow um, convince our friend Bim, who did work on the Human Genome Project, to give us an in and a and a laboratory space, and we create right. the super baby. All right. We, once again, we've reached the point well, where this show turns into evidence. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> I'd like to point that if, out. If the super baby happens, do yes. we like do we keep the super baby in a warehouse until it's time to deploy the baby on somebody or mm. something? Is this is this like a secret weapon? Oh heck no, Good that question. was Glenn's idea. That baby's going home with Glenn. Yeah. Well I'm gonna get you a giant Bjorn. <laughs> the, 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 the real question, and I love Lee's thinking is can you contain the super baby? Sure. <laughs> I mean, you, you you try and keep him under under wraps and keep him in a pen of some sort. Now yeah. we're just reciting the plot of King Kong. But essentially, <laughs> sooner or later, that super baby is going to get out. Is there a starlet involved at any but point? Is the, again, is the super is... baby is the super baby like the ministry equivalent of King Kong? No question. Because he's again, he's got four times. The Did wisdom. you ever see the end of King Kong Lee? <laughs> I mean, for not only look, you see a baby four times the normal size with a fully grown beard, right? You're going to listen to what that baby has to say, <laughs> right? Right? Okay, right. that baby that's going to get your attention, right? Okay, absolutely. So, I think there's no reason why the super baby, as planned. Uh, wouldn't be a, you know the natural person to take over the podcast. You Absolutely know, right. Uh, it, would, it would both host the podcast and answer the questions. That's right. Okay. That's right. Wow. He could do it all. He's a super baby. I like know? it. I He's like got it. all the DNA to handle everything. I think we've cracked it, gentlemen. Yeah. I think let's move forward with this one. Well, with that, I declare very reluctant, and um, I think we may all be dumber for this emergency <laughs> off. <laughs> Now, understand, I'm not putting that on Austin. He wrote in with some very, as far as I can understand it, cogent scientific analysis. 
that we made even goofier. Yeah. Science facts. Yeah. We science you good. There is nothing <laughs> so stupid. We can't make it stupider. Well, we do have a gift. <laughs> if there's any talent we have on this show, it is that. Yeah. Yeah. Now, occasionally, and Lord knows it's not really ever shown through in this segment of the show, we have good ideas. Ooh. Mm. One such good idea was Bridgebox. Mm. Oh. Bridgebox is an easy, fun way for you to support the ministry we do, both online, because, you know, we got the blogs, we got the podcasts. None of that costs much, but none of it's free either. There's hosting fees and there's, you know, this, that, and the other. So we got that. We also, all four of us, do ministry in the day jobs. Three of us up here in Chicago working with gang members, working with uh, folks behind bars, for folks on the streets. Lee's working down there with children. So, obviously, people who like what we do on the podcast like that because of the wisdom and the uh, technique and whatnot we've learned from doing those pretty hardcore day jobs. Absolutely. So... Various people have decided they want to support those day jobs. How do they do it? They sign up for Bridgebox. It's only $8 a month. $8 US, that's like five pounds or, um, I don't know. I, don't, I ran out of currencies. Shekels. Bot. Yeah. Bot. Sure. Marks. That's... I don't think we still use marks. Quite a few yen, though. Lira. Yeah. Yeah. If you can find Lira, we'll take them. Yeah. It's not as many rupees as you think it would be. Well, you know. Well, that concludes the economics portion of the show. Um, so, you know, $8 a month, it's not much. We set it there so in the hopes that really most people could uh, could swing that. Deutschmark. Yeah. Jared, the, yeah, they actually don't. I don't like to have those anymore, buddy. No. Nah. One could argue that they just have those under a different name. <laughs> Science, economics, international policy. We got it all, and we're not very good at any of it. <laughs> so, $8 a month, you Pesos. get to support the ministry, but as a bonus, you get stuff for yourself every month in your inbox. You get songs, you get sermons, you get devotionals, you get Bible studies, lots of awesome stuff. As a thank you for supporting the ministry, missionusa.com slash bridgebox. All right, we're going to jump into our first question here. If you hang with us all the way to the end. I will give you the addresses at which you can get in touch with us. First question comes in anonymously at our Tumblr, and it says, My friends from college are off doing amazing things. They are in India, Japan, Egypt, Croatia, either traveling, working for global missions. Those in the U.S. are getting advanced degrees, making bank at finance or tech companies, and getting engaged every other week. Wow. I, however, feel left behind because my dad died, and I'm now the main caregiver for my mom and grandparents due to age and mental illness. Am I wasting my life? Why do others live such great lives while I'm stuck at home? We really do appreciate your answering the question. Lee, why don't you start us off? Uh, yeah, just like Matt said, thanks for writing in, and I'm sorry you're feeling the way that you are. Um, it, uh, it, it sucks to feel like you're the person being left behind. Yeah. And um, we should start out just by saying, you know, to some degree we all know how that feels. Uh, you know, to look around and feel like people are doing stuff that I'd like to be doing or, or cooler stuff. You know, it seems like they're doing things that, that look cooler, you know, than, than, the, than the thing that I'm doing. And, uh, and it's, a, it's, it's a sucky feeling, and we're sorry that you're going through it. And yeah. we appreciate you writing in on it. I think <clears throat> one thing that we want to look at here on – is uh is kind of the difference between the way something feels and the the truth of the way that it is um especially in when when you kind of zoom out over the whole kingdom of god the way the way god looks at all this stuff and the truth about what gives a life meaning because the truth is there's a huge difference a huge chasm in between a, a well-enjoyed holiday and a thriving life 
Yeah. Uh, when, when somebody goes on vacation, that's not a sustainable lifestyle. Um, and it's in people that that are wealthy enough to live their entire lives on vacation. They're not happy people. Um, if you could give them a truth serum, they'd tell you that they're miserable. And the reason is because the human heart needs purpose. Um, it, it was built by God to to thrive um, it, when it has a purpose and a mission, and it thrives on serving, not just cool experiences. And so when, when you look around and it looks like people are doing stuff that's really cool, whether it's awesome trips or you know lots of great travel or even mission trips and stuff like that, the, the really interesting thing is that what you're actually doing right now, even though it feels like it, it feels like you're trapped, you're doing what is the heart and the height of all ministry, which is giving your life away to serve somebody else. Um, that is as that is as full bore as ministry gets um, to, to to serve somebody else who needs help. Um, this is actually it's the way that it's the way that Jesus was. It's the way that He's built this whole universe. That really the shortcut to happiness is laying down your life. Um, to give it away, to serve somebody else. That's the, sh- that's, the, that's the shortest shortcut to your own joy and fulfillment and stuff like that. It's why Jesus lived the way he did. It's why he was always giving his time away, giving his energy away, and in fact laid his life down. Um, the last thing that I would say on this is as, just as you're trying to navigate the way everything looks and the way it feels is is that you have to be really, really wary when you're looking around at the way other people's lives look. Um, the way that yeah. they talk about it, the way that they present it, um, whether it's people getting engaged or people going on these great vacations or whatever, or even cool mission trips. Um, there is, you know, especially in the world that we live in today, people live um, a publicly edited life. Yeah. Um, and the thing is, is that um, it, it's that you experience what they've decided to put on media, which means it's mediated. It's, it's not, you're not seeing what their life actually is. You're seeing the part of their life that they want to show you. And that's a very different thing. That being in that new engagement or marriage may be a whole lot worse than the really pretty pictures that you see somewhere. And so we have to be careful when we look around at comparing our lives to somebody else's because you don't know what it really is like to be living in it. That's absolutely right. One of the things that uh, Libra up there, Glenn, would like to get you to kind of uh, pick up on is this idea of um, where you are now is formative to who you're going to be right. as opposed to the end point. So in a lot of ways, maybe our, our question asker can't see, going through something difficult where you're going to learn some stuff now is actually a little bit better than your life looking good now. Absolutely right. Uh, where you are now is an incubator for where you will be. Uh, God's teaching you about compassion. He's teaching you about patience. Uh, he's teaching you what it means like to be what, what it means to be a servant. Uh, what it's like to have a, a servant's life. How to draw boundaries within that. How to uh, you know dig deep when you're exhausted within that. How to go the extra mile. Um, I would bet that after. Uh, three or four years of doing uh, the kind of stuff that you're doing now, you would probably have more of a uh, a, a, a missionary ability and a heart mm. for serving other people than anyone who um, did a really super cool short-term missions trip to Bangladesh. Yeah. You know, 
Um, we we uh, we have uh, people that come in and serve with us in in uh, sort of a short term kind of uh, context uh, within our ministry. Uh, we just had a, a group of Wheaton students actually came in last week that did a great job. I mean, they were really fantastic. Uh, Lee brought his kids recently, and they did great. Uh, but we have plenty of groups that come in, and, and these people just are unfamiliar in many ways with the idea of serving others and, and with the idea of uh, it's your responsibility to uh, uh, make people feel welcome, and you need to accomplish that, or we will come and find you and talk to you about why you didn't do that. And Exact words from uh, the training. Yeah, if, it, when, when, when the music time happens, you stand on your feet and you pat your hands together and you sing as loud as you can because that's what we do. If you don't, uh, if you don't have a reason to sing and praise God, then don't come down here, that kind of thing. So there's, uh, 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 there's a, a lot of people that um, weren't living a meaningful life in their churches, and they come down here, and they're not living a meaningful life with us either uh, because they're not allowing themselves to be transformed by the experience. I think you're living uh, a life uh, that's hard, sort of not to be transformed by it. You know, it's God is shaping you in this and preparing you for amazing things. Uh, The other thing I would point out within that is all the stuff you're talking about is really human accomplishment. You know, you know, going to India or Japan or whatever it is, is great. Um, But was that God's idea or was it your idea? Right. Um, getting married is something uh, fools do every single day. It's the easiest thing in the world to to accomplish. Um, you know, get get getting advanced degrees. Uh, literally, if you'll pay for them and go to the class, they'll give you the degree. I mean, you have to put the work in, obviously, but uh, they're 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 handing that stuff out every day. Those are human accomplishments. Uh, what you're looking for is a meaningful life, as Lee was talking about, and that involves what God does through you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Of all these friends that you have and all these accomplishments they have, how many of them have allowed God to do something through them? Uh, they may be on the mission field. They may be doing nice things for people there, and that's fine. Now, we're not We're not saying it has to look a certain kind of way or something, but we are making the point of, uh, can we assess how much of that is God working through that them and how much of that is them trying to accomplish things on their own? Yeah. Uh, that's more the measure that we need to look at. I think you're absolutely right. One of the things I would have us look at on this is it picks up on a little something Linda said there and something uh, Lee started off the idea of kind of being on permanent vacation. Um, a lot of what you're describing here, while, again, we're not running down any of it, it's all fun stuff, but it is the direct result of economic privilege. Yeah. You're talking about, you know, obviously traveling, by the way, and don't get me wrong, I love traveling. It's not an accomplishment. <laughs> right. Yeah. You can read all the uh, the thought catalog and BuzzFeed articles about how it's expanded my mind, and now it's vacation. Yeah. Right. There's nothing um, life-changing or world-expanding, or it's a vacation. It was neato. Yeah, it, w- it was lovely, It's but it's no different than golf or hiking or it's a hobby sure it's a great hobby but and it's a very expensive hobby to the point working for global missions again that's the thing of people don't think about it that way but if you're going to do especially if you're going to do a missions thing where you got to fundraise which a lot of missions is you have to be born into a relative you have to have some inroads to know people who have enough money to give to you that's Absolutely. i mean you have to come from a they're just unfortunately not a lot of missionaries from economically underprivileged places 
Actually, to uh, go back to it for a second, that's one of the ideas behind our Bridgebox program is we have part-time employees from inner-city Chicago neighborhoods who are great at ministry, have a lot of talent. Our work, Glenn and Jed are working with our friend Peter, working hard with them to bring them up to mm-hmm. you know, work with them. But outside of folks giving to Bridgebox, there's no way they would be able to raise missionary yeah. support because the family they have, the friends they have, the church right. they go to, nobody has any money. Yeah. That's right. It's a yeah. direct result of economic privilege. Same thing here if you know, they're getting advanced degrees, again, especially in America. you got to be able to pay for that. Work, have uh, jobs at you know finance tech companies. you got to know the people. you got to have the degree. you got to think. So all of this is so a part of the heart of your question, I think, is why did these people get these opportunities and I didn't? Mm-hmm. It's a fair question. You can go behind a guy with that. But as we're looking at moving forward, I think it may be more advantageous to look at what can we do with where we are. Can you talk us through that, Jed? Absolutely. I should say, I'm about to give you advice that'll work, and I promise you it will, but no one wants to hear this advice. Yeah. Um, Because it doesn't, I wouldn't want to hear it. Nobody wants to hear it. I didn't want to hear it. Uh, The advice is, do what you can with what you've got where you're at. Mm -hmm. That's that's it. Let Let me repeat it. Do what you can with what you've got where you're at right now. We had a recent episode where we talked a lot of kind of recovery and uh, addiction stuff. And the phrase they have for that is accepting life on life ter- life's terms. Exactly right. Exactly mm-hmm. right. You know, we are so sorry for the situation that you're in and the difficulties mm-hmm. you're going through. When you, people that are in, in tough situations, they tend to fall into kind of one of four categories of response, right? So some people, they say, I'm just going to change nothing. I just, you know, I just live with it. And that's never, ever a good idea. If, you know, if, if stuff's rough, we, we need to do something. We need to address something. Um, you know, some people are, um, so then kind of the, the opposite thing is people want to go for the big dramatic change. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave everything and move to Paris, and that's going to be different. Uh, that stuff very rarely works out the way you think it's going to. Mm-hmm. Now, there are people. And to the point of Lee made earlier about kind of um, just the projection people out there, I'm going to drop everything and go to Paris. No, you're not. You're going to do visa paperwork. You're going to get flights. Right. That's yeah. The story may become, I just dropped everything and moved to Paris, but there was months of uh, planning and logistics that went into that. Absolutely. Now, certainly there are situations where there's really a significantly rough stuff going on, maybe stuff that's abusive, where we do need to make a significant change, like right now, today. Mm-hmm. We need to be living somewhere else. We need to be in a different environment. But it doesn't sound like that's quite the kind of situation that you're in. And the other option, the one that very, very few people take, but it, it actually works, is saying, here are the resources and opportunities that are available to me today. Therefore, here's what I'm going to start doing. Let me give you an example of what I mean. You, you, you talked about how, you know, uh, as one example, the people in your life are getting engaged every other week. You can get on eHarmony tomorrow and start right. dating. Yeah, and and not to interrupt you, Jen, but if you're a quality Christian guy, maybe you're thinking about youth ministry, maybe you're thinking about missions like we're talking about mm-hmm. here, and you meet a gal and she says, right now my main focus is taking care of my grandparents and looking after them in their old age. That's 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 got to be like one of those, okay, wait a second, that's the kind of gal I'm looking for, sure. right? I mean, Absolutely. Uh, isn't that a big indicator to you? Oh, no no doubt about it. I mean, um, part of the unsaid thing in your message is that money's pretty tight for you right now. And so, um, you know, there are people where basically what they're going to want is to go out partying, and you're probably not going to be able to do that with them. I would also guess you're not really looking to go out partying anyway. Right. And to going to your point, uh, the right kind of person is going to look at the sacrifices you're making and say, that's a person with amazing character. Yes, yes, yes. But we, we can't discover that if we're not putting ourselves out there. Yeah, that's um, true. Y- you, that's true. 
you, if, you, if you're not going on eHarmony, go on eHarmony. You know, right. If you want to see that area of your life move forward, take action. Yeah. Um, if you can't afford to go on eHarmony or there are other reasons why you can't, find a church with a singles group. Mm-hmm. Go to the singles group. Start meeting people. You, you can do that. Similarly, you, you brought up you know, educational stuff. There's a community college where you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you can take a class. If you want to engage your brain and learn things and, and grow in that area, if you can't leave, you can take an online class. You, right. you can do that. Is that the same as going to Harvard and you know, really having the Mark Zuckerberg experience? It's not, but it's something. That's and, right. and as anybody who's been stuck and has gotten unstuck will tell you something positive today <laughs> is yeah. infinitely better than the perfect solution that never actually comes. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing that, that we're really all kind of waiting for. If you piece together, I'm going to get active in my dating life to the extent that I can. I'm going to get active in my educational life to the extent that I can. I'm going to get active in ministry to the extent that I can. I'm going to get active in my hobbies to the extent that I can. I'm going to engage those areas of my life to the extent that I can. A couple things are going to happen. One, you're going to feel completely different about your situation than you do right now. It's not to say the bad things aren't going to be there anymore, but they're not going to be the only narrative. That's mm. and it's really critical. Second thing is the time is going to fly. You have right. no idea how much more quickly time will go or how much more pleasant of a sensation. But this is the third thing and the really important thing. The, taking ownership of those areas of your life coupled with what you're doing in terms of serving people you know, with, in the context of your family, those two things together are going to give you a sense of what you want the next season in your life to look like. Mm. If tomorrow, if just a full-time caregiver showed up and said, I'm doing this now, I'll take care right. of this, I think you need to ask yourself, do you know what you would want to do? Mm. Do you know where you would want to go? Yeah. My guess is no, you actually right. don't. Because I, I, not in this specific situation, but I've been in places that uh, emotionally are similar to what you're describing. you got to figure out what you want to come next. And the mm. way you do that is by starting to take ownership of your life and the things you care about to the extent that you can Today, the more that you do that, the more you're going to learn who you are, who God's made you to be, and the kind of things that you want to do moving forward. That's fantastic. I close this out by looking at this this phrase. You and so again, it's a it's a very deep and very honest question. We appreciate it. The am I wasting my life? We got to look at this in context. Uh, first of all, no. We nope. can all say that very clearly. No. Right. Um, actually, we've all known people doing the things you're talking about, and you know the getting engaged and the advanced degrees and the finance tech companies and even unfortunately the global missions. And we've, we've all known people who've gone exactly down that path and they're a lot closer to wasting their life than someone who chose things you did. Yeah. But I would look at that because there was a, there was a very popular Christian book in the nineties called don't waste your life by a guy I won't name who has since through the magic of Twitter revealed himself to be kind of a boorish douchebag, but uh, you know, lovely man, I'm sure. This is a guy who, by the way, spends his time writing books about Reformed theology. So do you get to be an authority on not wasting your life and being impactful? Really? <laughs> not looked so at a much. Whole, looked at the whole world of ministry and said, you know what? Reformed theology. Right. John Knox, he didn't take care of it. I got some stuff to add. It's right. going to be awesome. Yeah. Um, that was a fun tangent, mainly for me. <laughs> but so even if you read that book, which I don't particularly recommend, but I'm sure some people like it and it's fine. Um it's not the idea of go live a, you know, an Instagrammable life. Yeah. It is, you know, yeah. live a life that has an impact, you know, right. and you're doing that. Yeah. That's right. And again, you're, you're actually working some muscles, learning some skills that are going to um, serve you very well. I mean, the, the Jesus picked 12 guys who never left their hometown. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The apostle Paul in the book of first uh, Thessalonians specifically says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Yeah. Right. That's right. The, uh, the idea of kind of, 
world shakers and make his name famous and impact. And <laughs> that's all like, that's like 30 years old at most Yeah, in Christianity. Well, and, and as we're saying here, a lot of those people are sort of drive-by missionaries. You know, they're, yeah. they're, they're blowing in, blowing out. They're reporting a lot of numbers and whatever else, but it's not, it doesn't have any real roots to it. It's worth noting, just so you know, Matt and I actually do a lot of work kind of behind the scenes that's related to, to media and whatnot. And this is something you can take to the bank. Anybody who's famous and you've heard of them, they work at being famous all day, every day. Yeah. Yep. That's, There's a full-time staff person, and maybe them, whose job is to make sure that they are famous. Yeah. That, that right. doesn't happen accidentally. If, you, if you've heard of somebody, uh, um, they've spent far more time making sure everyone's aware of the great things they're doing than they have spent doing great things. And, we right. don't, and we're not saying that, we want to be clear, we're not saying that to put that down. That's not, there's nothing inherently evil or bad about that. You know, we have this podcast. We want people to listen to it. Absolutely. We're trying to find ways to make sure that people who would like it know about it. But you have to um, disabuse yourself of the knowledge that this pastor got famous because he just, he's just so wise. Right. <laughs> Yeah. And the people looked at his wisdom and said, he must be famous now, or this musician is so good. No, it's, they very shrewdly, very smartly, no, again, nothing inherently wrong with this. People take it to an uncool place, but said, you know, we have, we want to fill this church. We want to reach out to people. We want, I think people would would benefit from what's in this book or whatever the thing. And then they paid a marketing company tens of thousands of dollars to make that happen. Yeah. Right. But it, just because you've heard of it doesn't mean it's it's good. And what that, again, with that, that brings us back to a main point here of, when you're looking at someone else's life, you can't assume to fill in the gaps. Yeah, that's right. exactly right. Yeah. So you you are you are not wasting your life. You're doing something very meaningful with it, and um, you're probably not going to be doing that forever. Yep. So and it's preparing you to do some very cool things down the road, even if you don't believe us on that. It's true. All right, move on to our next question here. It came in anonymously to our Tumblr inbox, and it says, "How important is the family when it comes to deciding who to marry?" Murmur, murmur, murmur. Do you date the girl? And marry the family, uh, or do you date the family and marry the girl? Uh, also, no. no. If the girl doesn't come from a Christian family, and uh, again, this is the way this one came in. Obviously, gender pronouns all flippable. If the girl doesn't come from a Christian family, or it comes from a dysfunctional family, could those be warning signs, or would everything be okay as long as you two love each other? That's right. <laughs> Strap yourselves in. Living on love. <laughs> oh my <laughs> lord. <laughs> Jed, why don't you start us off? If only to get Glenn to stop singing country hits of the 80s. <laughs> well, in a weird way, let's talk about sex for a second. Okay, here's, here's what Christian's... We've just gone from Alan Jackson to salt and pepper Absolutely so I'm right. pretty weirded out right now. Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about you and me. All the good things. All the bad things. There may be. Okay, here's what Christians believe about sex when it comes to marriage. <laughs> if we will both just be pure enough, right then we God owes us a good sex life. That's absolutely we, right. We won't have to talk about it. Right. We won't have to think about it. We won't have Cashing to work all at the it. purity chips. Exactly right. If you get if you get enough purity chips, God owes you a good sex life and then it's just done so. Right. That's just how it works. Okay. <clears throat> Let me be the the first and, and hopefully only one of many to tell you that is not how sex works. Right. Uh, no matter how pure or impure you or your spouse have been, um, also no such thing. Um, if you have a healthy sex life in the context of marriage, it's because you work at it. That's right. It's because you communicate about it. It's mm -hmm. because you work on it. It's because you put effort into it. Okay. There's no such thing as we're just both so holy and pure. Now we just have a good sex life. Right. Okay. <laughs> I, I tell you that to tell you this. 
people have the idea if we just if we're all just lovely enough and sweet enough and nice enough, we won't have to set boundaries. Right. We'll just be mm-hmm. so earnest. Well, if we'll just be so earnest and so loving and so kind and so nice and so sweet natured and just so mm, we won't have to set boundaries. As an example, and can you share the story of your wife's coworkers who the in-laws would come into town and just move stuff? Oh my goodness, I'm not making this up. It's a, a, a few a few jobs back, but you know, uh, my wife had a position. She had a coworker, and uh, her coworker was a little nervous because around the holidays and and the you know the the in-laws were coming to to visit, and when they come, they they stay you know with the family and. So my wife's talking, we'll just call her Jen, the other person. She's talking to Jen and says, you know, well, you know, I mean, I can see where that would be a little, you know, uh, you know, it's just, it's, you got somebody else in your house. I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a lot to deal with. It's an imposition. Exactly right. You know, and just like, yeah, yeah, but it, you know, they're, they're a little, they kind of want things to be their way. And, you know, Hallie is my wife says, well, I mean, you, you mean like, you know. Dinner at 6.15 sharp or. Exactly right. You know, kind of scheduling things like, no, they, um. Well, they, they rearrange all the furniture every time they come. <laughs> and, and I was wait, wait, what, what, what are you talking about? No, they, they walk through and they decide they don't like the way our house is set up. And then they just, they just change everything. They, they rearrange everything. They move all the furniture and, and, just, and just completely... They don't ask first. They, they just don't ask. They go, just do it. They, yeah. just, they just change the house. Right. And of course, how's it... Well, you've, you've, you've said something. No, it's, it's just, it's just yeah. easier not to. We wait it yeah. out. Yeah. Okay, th- this is the thing is... I want to be crystal clear here. This is really important. All healthy human relationships have boundaries. That's right. Yep. All of them. Mm-hmm. If this is a new concept to you, that's great. That's no problem. A boundary is an idea of things that you are and are not willing to put up with. Right. That's, that's what a boundary is. It's not about telling another person what they can or can't do. That's right. It's about saying what you will or will not put up with being around. That's right. And that's an important distinction. Yeah. I want to be clear here. All all, all, no exceptions. All healthy human relationships have boundaries in them. That's right. All of them. If you're going to have a healthy relationship with your in-laws, whoever they are, you and your wife as a team will have to set boundaries for behavior that you are and are not willing to put up with out of both sets of parents. Yeah. You will have to do that. There, there, there's no way around that. There are no exceptions to that. There, I want to, this, I can't emphasize enough because this is so important. There is no set of in-laws so Christian and so holy <laughs> and so spiritual and so anointed and so wise and so, mm, mm. that they don't need boundaries. Uh, absolutely true. Doesn't, doesn't exist. You will, no question, have to set boundaries. How well they'll respond to those boundaries is hugely variable. Right. And it may surprise you. You may right. find That's that right. there, there are some people that... Feel like real heathens, but they have no problems with the boundaries. Say, I hear you, and I'm on it. You may have other people that um, are super holy and churchy and freak out. Yes. But that doesn't change anything. Uh, Yeah, that's right. You guys still have to set boundaries of what is and is not acceptable behavior. For example, when you are at my house, you cannot rearrange my furniture. (laughs) Right. Because that's just weird behavior. I know. I know that uh, there's a lot we can say on this topic. There's a lot we will, but as a place to get us started, that's where we want to start. All healthy relationships, including the one that you and your spouse have with in-laws, must have boundaries. That's absolutely right. And Glenn, can you talk about the uh, the time frame and severity with which to draw those boundaries? Yeah, 
early yep. and hard. Yes. I think, you know, that's, he, to be clear, that's in everything, but that's really specifically with family stuff. Absolutely right. You know, part of what Jed is saying here, too, I, I like what he's saying about how you don't know how to respond. You know, people have a way of really assuming that, yeah. you know, and sometimes you assume that parents will have a bad reaction or anybody will have a bad reaction to a boundary being set based on how hard they're going after their behavior. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes that's just not an indicator of anything. There are, there are times with parents where you will say, mother, father, put the furniture back <laughs> where it goes <laughs> right now. You can see the divots in the carpet. Yep. So you know where it goes. We're not discussing it. I'm going to go in the other room and, and make dinner for the two of you and put it back. And you walk off. Now, here's the thing. They might be mad. They may, you know, and understand, let's say this part. You don't have the right to expect that people would like yeah. having boundaries set on them. Yeah. It's okay for them to pitch a little fit and have a little bit of a, a bad moment there. That's kind of part of the process, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and nobody likes having a boundary put on them and they feel like they've been, you know, hit in the nose with a rolled up newspaper or something like that. But there are lots of cases where parents will take a moment like that and say, whoa, I think this kid has grown up. Yeah. And uh, that means we can relax. Yeah. And that's a pretty good moment. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you never know. You know, it could kind of turn out for the positive in that kind of sense. You know, and parents need that moment. They need, especially a meddling parent. A meddling yeah. parent needs to know you can stand down now. It's over, and you're in my house, and this is how right. the furniture is in my house. I don't come and rearrange furniture at your house. You don't come and do it. <laughs> well, I carried you in my body for nine months. It don't matter. You're in my house. I pay the bills here. Yeah. You remember how that worked in your house? Works the same way over here. You know, you don't get any credit for any womb activity at this point. The statute of limitations is up, old lady. Put it back where yeah, it does that, goes. Does that yeah. include the? Does that include the super baby? Well, yeah, absolutely. But, uh, I really enjoyed when Womb Activity opened up for Birth Beard. Yeah, pretty amazing, <laughs> great show. But that's here's a this is let's let's have a keeping it real moment in here. Every if you if you go and 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 look at any um, group of married men who are having a conversation about marriage, yeah, inevitably it turns to in laws. Sure, right. And there's inevitably a oh my good lord. Minor, worse than yours discussion sure. that takes place. There's always this, and I want to say this might be one in every ten guys, maybe one in every, uh, you know, twelve or ten guys that might sit in a group like that and talk about in-laws. That will kick back and say, "My in-laws are great." We go to the baseball game together and everything, and everybody hates that guy. Yep. Because it never happens. Yeah, their hate only makes them stronger. Yeah, that's the thing is, you can't go into marriage saying, "Hey, I hope I have great in laws." If I don't have great in laws, I don't know if I can really you know take on this challenge and so on and so forth. Forget about that. 
Yeah, the in-laws are not there to be a support system to you for you to hold them up. <laughs> That's not what's going to happen. Nope. If, if they're not a giant pain in the behind, thank Jesus that you have won the lottery, dude. <laughs> yep. Because this is a there's no there's no uh, uh, idea that wow they're going to be the the rock that we're going to build this marriage on. That that's never happened. No. Okay. <laughs> And and if you can dig it, I don't know that that's the right goal to have, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. you know, you and your wife might end up taking care of these people in their sure. old age, and uh, it's it's right for you to start thinking in terms of, hey, you don't need to be bossing me around. I need to be helping you figure out life. You don't, you're old. You don't know how to work the internet. I know how to work the internet. Why don't you stop rearranging furniture and I'll tell you how to work email so you can interact with us uh, the way that, that, that we interact and you'll be able to interact with your future grandkids and all that kind of stuff where you're kind of setting the pace and you're getting them involved in life and you're taking an active role in helping them out. So I think we, that's a, we need to shift our vision here a little bit. Absolutely, and uh, that's a lot of great stuff about kind of boundaries and some of the theoretical stuff here and some very helpful stuff for marriage. Lee, why don't you take us um, into kind of the dating sphere of this person, you know, talks about kind of familial stuff that's a red flag. Like, what what are we looking for? And if we are in a situation where somebody maybe has some family that's acting out of pocket, how does that work in a dating relationship? How how do you address that in a marriage relationship? Well, I think when, when, you know, when I'm doing premarital counseling, one of the things that we always talk about is is that whatever it's always been your whole life, and you see totally different degrees with, with every single person, whatever it's always been, as you move towards marriage, you need to understand this relationship right here is the flagship relationship of the rest of your life. Yeah. Um, and that this relationship supersedes your loyalty to your parents, to yep. your old college roommate, to yep. your friends, to your siblings. Yep. It's actually, you're actually going to put more energy and focus into this than you are going to be into your relationship with your kids. Yeah. Right. You're going to love your kids. You're going to take care of them. But a huge mistake that so many people make is they start having kids and they pour all their energy into the kids and they stop pouring their energy into the marriage. I mean, the, you know, the, the, the scriptures, I mean, it's on the second page of the Bible. <laughs> Come on. The, the, way, the way marriage gets started is that, that both of these people leave yes. the old relationships behind. That's right. So uh, and so that process needs to start in the dating world. I mean, the the idea there's an idea in the question somewhere, and Glenn already addressed this, and that's why it was part of the reason I was laughing so much. But uh, there's this idea in the question of like, are you are you supposed to keep looking around till you find somebody that has these great parents? Every person's family has dysfunction. Yeah. yeah. They're all dysfunctional. Amen. And even if they even if they think they're all awesome, when you come into it, you're a different personality. You come from yeah. a different family culture. You're gonna rub up against them weird. It's gonna be strange. It's gonna not work. I mean, right. that's there's always gonna be this dysfunction. And it's gonna start in the it's gonna start in the land of dating. And you have to that's why these guys are saying you have to go ahead and set these boundaries early, often, the whole thing. But the the deal on this is is if especially especially when you start moving towards marriage that you see this person that I am that I am joining my life with this is my person yeah and here's right. the here's the thing I always give people in premarital counseling it goes like this if there is a conflict between your husband and your mother your husband wins yeah that's right if there is a conflict I'm looking at the dude. If there is a conflict between your mother and your wife, your wife 
always wins. Amen. I don't even care if she's wrong. Absolutely. She wins because yep. you you guys are one, you're a team, and you need to make that known. And I'm talking about, I've sat in, in premarital counseling situations where I've said that statement, and that girl is ready to go into the wallet and write me a check yeah. for <laughs> yeah. saying that. Yeah. I mean, you know, the tears are coming down the face, and she's saying... You know how much, how many zeros do I put on the check <laughs> at this point? <laughs> and so, because this is a, this, I mean, you you know, you deal with guys who have been, you know, they have they have they have been mama's million dollar gold piece every day of their life, and they have never gotten out of that orbit. And it's time to do it as soon as possible. But yeah, every family had dis- has dysfunction. And what you, what you want to make is you want your new relationship to create a new family. Yeah. Yeah. It's a new yeah. family culture. Yeah. I wish that when folks got married, I wish they made up their own new last name. Yeah. And it, it got ri- they got rid of both people's last names. We're going to decide on a new one. We're going to make a new one. And it would just be like an outward symbol of it's not that thing they say at weddings. We're not building this on the old families. We're not doing that. This is a new thing. Everything starts from zero, and they have mm. to work to mm-hmm. get whatever they're going to get, just like these guys are saying. Yeah. yeah. Amen. I think that's all fantastic stuff. I would uh, point out that um, in all three of those answers – um, we didn't mention kind of uh, how, too much about how Lee did it there at the end. Didn't mention too, too much about how um, somebody's family affects dating them because it shouldn't matter. Yeah. Because, right. again, as we pointed out, if you're going to develop a relationship <laughs> to this person, if you're going to get married to them, then uh, the first thing the Bible, as Lee pointed out, Genesis 2, the first thing the Bible says about marriage is for this reason, a man will leave his mother and father. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's right. When someone asks Jesus about marriage, that's the verse he quotes. Quite <laughs> so. That, you hear a lot these days about a biblical marriage, the biblical foundation of marriage. That is the number one biblical foundation for marriage, according to the Bible itself. Yeah. Yeah. Is your mother and father have nothing to say about it. Yeah. That's right. Now, there's another we want to touch on real quick. There's another kind of underlying thing you say, you know, what if a person comes from a non-Christian background or dysfunctional family background? And, um, neither of those are strikes against someone because, um, neither of those things are their fault, like in any way, shape or form. But one thing we will look at is really the main thing you're looking for as someone who's going to succeed in a relationship, especially with his family is someone who's willing to look at their issues honestly and go after solving them. Yep. And you got to do that too, because as Lee pointed out there, we all got family issues. So the nothing will kill, in these, all these things we're talking about, nothing kills a marriage or a relationship or any kind of sanity quicker than, I just assume mom and dad were right about everything. Yeah. No, they weren't. They're yeah. people. They're messed up as everyone else. They had some weird, really weird ideas. Your family has some really weird ideas. We all overcompensated for to get to, to get it together. Now it's time to let go of those. Yeah. So the difference is not like, oh, because as Lee pointed out, I think it's a very important um, point. There's no such thing as a non-dysfunctional family. Yeah. There are levels of it. There are obviousness. There's obvious levels of dysfunction. But everybody to leave kind of that and go forward into healthy marriages and really a healthy life has to be able to look at it and say, there were some really screwed up things from the way I was raised and I will address them to find better ways. That's the thing you're looking for. Not, they're saying not the happy schmappy family, not, um, not, you know, we all do evening Bible study together every night because that's <laughs> creepy, too. Yes, it is. But that's what you're looking for. 
Okay, move on to our final question here. It came in a non sweater tumbler in a box. It says, I grew up in an abusive and codependent family environment, and the result is a lot of self esteem issues and struggle with setting boundaries, maintaining relationships with people. I would so much rather deal with this on my own, but I'm wondering if counseling is essential in overcoming something like this. I really fear having to relive my past, but know something has to change. Is seeing a therapist the best first step in this? Glenn, can you start us off? Absolutely, and I, th- I, I understand, uh, or, or like, I'd like to think I understand uh, the nature of what you're saying. I mean, uh, uh, in many respects, in order to deal with uh, dysfunction, to deal with past trauma, we have to dig up the past. We have to look at things we don't want to look at in order to have forward progress. Uh, the, the thing I can tell you about that, with absolutely no hesitation, without any doubt, is that the, the cure will not be worse than the disease. Yep. So you're definitely taking the path that will involve the least amount of pain. And even, even it will involve less pain in the short run. Yes, it is painful to look at certain things. Yes, it's painful to dig those things up. But being able to um, bring them to the service and begin the process of giving them to the Lord, that might be step one out of a thousand steps of giving them to the Lord, but you are that much lighter from day one. The thing that I think people, especially bless some Christians, don't understand about denial and repression is that whatever, that you, whatever it is that you, you're repressing, it's in there messing with you still. Yep. You may yeah. ignore it, but it's it's it is as you're saying there's these abusive uh uh, uh relationships that you're in. There's there's boundary problems. You can't maintain relationships. There's this this sense of this is not it's not that a, a bad thing happened at some point and that has vaguely affected something later on. It's something bad has happened in the past, and it's continuing to happen to you every day. It's You're reliving these things and then repressing them down. If you press it down every day, you're living in fear of that thing getting out of the closet and really starting to, to deal with you. If you face it and look all of it right in the eye and say, God's tougher than that. God's bigger than that. Mm-hmm. I'm tougher than that because I have God in me. Then right away, it loses a ton of power over your life. Mm-hmm. So facing up to that on day one, I think you're going to feel a massive wave of relief. You may have a sense of the size of the job, and it may you may look at it and say, that's a pretty big mountain of stuff, and I'm not going to be able to snap my fingers and just get over it. But right away, I can see uh, uh, that I can handle it, that it's handleable, that it's not going to go on forever. It's not infinite complexity. It's not infinitely difficult to deal with. Uh, so that right away, you can get that sense of, of forward progress. The other thing about repression and denial that I think people don't understand is when you choose not to look at something, I'm going to hide it from myself. I'm going to put it under the rug. Whatever that thing is, the enemy is telling you lies hmm. based on that thing. Yeah. He loves the, the I think the devil probably loves an unexamined life more than anything sure, because wow. he can get in there and tell you anything and you'll believe it. 
because you don't want to look mm-hmm. at that situation. Mm-hmm. So you buy whatever he says be- because you can't stand to examine whether or not it's true. Mm-hmm. So that trick will wow. work every single day every every day you're being tortured by that the, the don't think of the abuse as something that happened in the past that you're you're afraid of dredging up or whatever the abuse is happening today the the the, the devil is coming in and using your past and torturing you with it every day because it's in that that repression it's because it's under the rug. Mm-hmm. Let me say one other real quick thing, and I'll send it around to these guys to end this on a positive note. Just because you denied this and repressed it, that doesn't necessarily means that it doesn't doesn't necessarily mean that that was the wrong or bad thing to do. Sure. Uh, in some cases, if you're dealing with a trauma that is so big, that is so huge, 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 that might be a sexual assault. That might be a death of a close relative. That might be, you know, finding out you have cancer or something like that. There are traumas that are so, so, so big that your mind just cannot take it. And it's the right thing to do in those extreme circumstances to where you have to repress a certain amount of it. You can't process all of that stuff in real time. That's meant to change and that gear is meant to be shifted and you're meant to deal with that. But we have to understand that, that we, we talk negatively about repression and we're talking about reversing it here and, and that it's hurting you. But it's important for you to not beat up on yourself for the fact that you've done it because you came by that honestly. It might have been a smart thing for you at some point to really just try and compartmentalize and only deal with some of this at you know yeah. a, a little at a time. So uh, we, we want to take that part easy on you, but... But I, I, I think on day one, you're going to feel better about this than you've ever felt. Uh, and I don't think you have to be afraid of that. Yeah, it's absolutely true. And I would add to the repression bit that even if, you know, um, whenever we talk about, you know, this, somebody engaging in a bad strategy, if that's repression, if that's whatever, that's not a judgment call because, as Glenn said, you come by that honestly. Even if, yeah. you know, we've, we're years in and repression is not the – the thing that's going to get you on the path to having to recovering and kind of getting through this. We're not saying, Oh, it's, you were stupid for repressing that or trying this other thing. When you, when trauma happens, especially we're talking, probably talking about an ongoing, but really any kind of trauma in any kind of environment, you know, you, you go with what seems the best thought at the time. Yeah. And really it shows a lot of maturity and wisdom and character to say, this is now having a seriously negative effect on my life. And, even though I therapy is not therapy or talking about it or kind of bringing it to service is not what I want to do. I'm starting to look at the fact that that may actually help me get where I'm going. And mm. so we're not talking down about the repression. Right. That's right. We're much more celebrating the victory that now we're ready to kind of move on. And Lee, why don't you help us out on this? Well, I, one thing on this is just to encourage you. Um, and I loved all that stuff Glenn said. In fact, there's, there's it, his, his, you know, it, if you want to keep going on this, you know, write him a private message on the counseling stuff. He really kills it and helps me a lot on situations I deal with. But one of the things I would say just to encourage you is that, um, I, I have friends who have had really hard stuff and have decided they're going to go ahead and cross that line and go speak to a professional. And, the difference that it made was so huge in their life that they now divide 
the way that they look at their life into the time before and after someone who listened to me. Mm. Um, all that to say, if, if you are feeling like maybe it's the time for me to do that, um, hear us saying, that is a great idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I would say, just as a logistical thing, if you are in a situation where you cannot afford that kind of care, or you do not have that as, as a part of like a healthcare package that you have or whatever, um, ask the Lord to show you who to go to and to find a pastor. And I'm not talking about necessarily somebody who has the title of pastor at a church, because um, that's, <laughs> that's not always the guy you're looking for. But um, there are people who uh, fulfill the biblical role of what a pastor should be. That means someone who, in ministry, shepherds people through the troubles of their lives. Um, to find someone like that, those dudes um, usually have a lot of counseling experience. They they spend their lives helping people through their problems. And uh, they've seen a lot, and they have experience with a lot, and they can and they can really help you out. The other the other little logistical thing that I would say on this, just one more kind of practical point, is even when you get that counselor and you have somebody to talk to, I would still be going to the Lord and asking Him to give you somebody in your life of your same gender who can be a friend to you and talk to you on a daily basis, help you walk through um, just the just kind of the processing of these emotions and stuff like that. And we should say part of this process is, um, and Matt kind of already talked about this some, um, because you, you know, you're, you're doing what, you're doing what comes naturally is to not judge yourself on this, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. not to judge yourself about the way you feel, not to judge yourself. If you have a lot of anger or if you have a lot of questions or if you have a lot of doubts, Mm -hmm. um, to, to set yourself free, to let, to let the emotions that happen to you, let them run their course yeah. through. To express all those things, to write all the stuff down. If you if that if you're the kind of person that you're a you're a kinetic learner and you learn by writing stuff down or by doing stuff, to do all of that stuff and, and to to get all of it out and to do it little by little. But if you can find a person who understands you, loves you well, listens to you, doesn't try to fix you, um, then then that's a great thing to add on to this professional who knows how to talk to you. Amen. Amen. That's really great stuff. Jed, why do close this out? Two final quick things. First is, um, Elise said it, if you don't have um, uh, the financial means to be able to see a counselor, we'd love to help you find somebody. Um, right. uh, if you'll message, you should message Glenn on this stuff. Um, uh, he and, and we'll assist him in that. Wherever you're at, we, we can help you find a person in your area that can help you with that. So, Absolutely. Uh, don't let that be a, a problem or consideration. But here, here's the thing I'd like to, to stick uh, to close with is it sounds like part of your concern, and I've certainly heard other people um, uh, say this, is that it feels like it's an admission of weakness to go see a counselor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that if you were a strong person, you could just kind of, you know, just clench your brain real hard and get over it, right? I'd crossfit my way out of this. Exactly right. <laughs> Here's the thing you need to know is um, getting assistance, seeking external assistance is always a sign of strength. Always. Um, If you want to get better results in life, you seek outside expertise. Doesn't matter what the area Mm -hmm. is. If you want better results in physical fitness, you find a personal trainer. Um, If you want better results in your personal finances, you find a financial planner. Um, Mm -hmm. Companies that are successful with, you know, billions of dollars, hire consulting firms for this exact purpose. Tell us how to do what we're doing better. 
Mm-hmm. Help, help us make it stronger. Um, it says in the Bible that plans succeed because of an abundance of counselors. Um, yeah. that when we seek outside help, that's a sign of strength. That's not a sign of weakness. A weak person is a person who will not ask for help. A, right, a, a right. weak person is a person who insists, I must be able to do it by myself or I just can't live with it. The fact that you are looking at this and saying, you know, I do need the outside help. I, I may not want it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really don't want some of the things I suspect are going to go with it. Um, like accountability. Like accountability. It's actually a sign of strength on your part. Yep. The, the fact you can look and say, you know, I do need that. I need to get mm-hmm. that. That's, that's a sign of strength. But here's the thing I'd encourage you to, to build on with that is to say, this isn't just about getting over what you've been through. This is about building towards what's next. Yeah. Um, part of the reason why you seek outside perspective is you've always been doing things the way you've always been doing them. Right. Doesn't matter whether it's your life or your workout routine or the way you do business, finance, whatever. You've always been doing things the way you've always been doing them. Mm-hmm. If you want there to be something different, you need some new thoughts and some new ideas. Yep. It's hard to just generate those in your own brain because yeah. your, your brain says do this because that's what it's always done. That's We all work that way. That's no problem. This isn't just about getting over what you went through. That's part of it. It's about building towards the amazing future that God has for you, all the things that come next. And we want that for you. We don't want to see you miss out. We don't want to see you miss a single amazing thing that God has for you. Right. We want every bit of that. We love you and we believe in you. Amen. That's absolutely right. I'll add a couple more quick practical things we close out here. One is we talked about kind of the financial realities of seeing therapy. Another thing you can do is search for, and you can just Google this, and if you look, plus the name of your town, if you live in any kind of sizable city, um, Google low-fee therapy, sliding scale therapy. There's a lot of mm-hmm. places that either maybe students who are working on their doctorate or people who have their degree and are working towards their counseling hours. You have to get a certain amount of kind of supervised and unsupervised counseling hours to get your licensure. So that that can slide all the way down to f- 5 10 $15 an hour. Sure. And so that's a good resource. Um, we have all talked about, and it's a good thing, of if you can find a pastor, I would be, didn't be of the opinion that a good pastor is a little harder to find than a good counselor, but that's if you can find one, great. But when, uh, Jed said something very important there, the idea of expert opinion. Yeah. And that is what we need here. Now, also, to Lee's point, you do need uh, friends. You do need someone to shepherd you just kind of generally through life. You need someone you can talk your stuff out with. But sometimes, in addition and in a separate role, if you have something very uh, specific kind of abuse or childhood thing or sexual thing, you need someone who knows what the heck they are talking yeah, about. Yep, that's yeah. right. And your pastor may be a great person and may want to listen to you, may want to help you all that. But if he doesn't have a degree in child and family counseling then it's not an insult to pastor to say, I'm also going to be talking to this person who yeah. has lots of experience in this. Yeah, and if, and if there is any kind of a sexual component, I totally agree with what Lee is saying. Find someone yeah. of the same gender. Absolutely. That's, yeah. And, and and no good, just to that point, Matt, I'm sorry to jump in, but no no pastor worth his salt would be would, would be affronted by that at right. all. He would encourage you to find that specialist. Right. Exactly uh, where I wanted to land on this. Also, any... A pastor or a church or church type person or a Christian author or a Christian whatever who would say that you should not seek professional counseling, you should only talk to a pastor, or that only a Christian counselor is the only kind you can see, go far from that person and never speak to them again for they are a clown. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. There's a very old famous saying of, I don't want the most Christian surgeon, I want the best surgeon. Yeah. Right. Right. I, I, you want someone who knows what they're talking about. You find someone who you click with, you know what they're talking about, and they're Christian, great. Yep. But as you're prioritizing those, knows what they're talking about, you feel comfortable with and click with, and Christian is super distant on that list. Yep. The one last thing I'll say about this, we talk to, this to people who kind of seek therapy and counseling, 
you may have to, it's like anything else you may have to try a couple people out absolutely and you give yourself permission to do that if you meet with the first person and say i didn't i didn't feel safe i didn't feel comfortable i didn't feel like they're you know and some of that may be nerves you may go back a couple three times but if you do that and say just don't feel like this is clicking try another counselor that's absolutely. not bailing that's that's how we find like we're saying here taking an active role is how we find what we want all right so if you have a question for us say that podcast at gmail.com or the bridge chicago.tumblr.com where you can always sign up for bridgebox only eight dollars a month support the ministry get lots of cool stuff for yourself missionusa.com slash bridgebox we're gonna take it out with a song this week this is an old hymn called under his wings that some friends of ours in Nashville, Zach, reworked, and our friend Haley Harris sings lead on. So awesome folks out of Nashville that help us out with this. This is called Under His Wings. We're going to take you out with that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. To say that podcast, fire up the Bunsen burners. Project Super Baby is a go. <laughs> Under his wings I am safely fighting Though the night deepens and tempests are wild Still I can trust Him I know He will keep me He has redeemed me And I am His child Under His wings Under His wings Who from His love can sever his wings my soul shall abide safely abide forever under his wings what a refuge from sorrow how the heart yearning Turns to his rest Often when earth has no balm for my healing There I find comfort and there I find rest Under his wings, under his wings Who from his love can sever Protect